he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tartarus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. In 1933, during his inaugural address, President Franklin D. Roosevelt shared what is probably his most famous words when he proclaimed, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And when you look back at what our countrymen were dealing with in the year 1933, it was pretty profound. One out of every four people were unemployed in this country. The unemployment rate was just over 25%. They were in a devastating drought, and nearly half the nation's banks had gone out of business. So whatever savings thousands of American families had at the time was lost in almost a moment as these institutions went out of business. They were in a very challenging time, and President Roosevelt tried to inspire his countrymen in a time when they had very little in front of them to feel positive about. In fact, a quote from that address, he said, only a foolish optimist can deny the dark realities of the moment. And if you fast forward nearly 90 years, I'm reminded of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes as God revealed through his writing, there is nothing new under the sun. Fear is something that can overtake a person at any time and in any place. And when you look at the United States of America that we live in today, it is absolutely no exception. If you were to ask someone you know, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, someone that is willing to engage in the conversation with you and ask them, what are you afraid of? You'll hear things like fear of protests and activists, fear of law enforcement, fear of cybercrime, fear of the government. The list of fears continues to compound and expand at a rate that we really struggle to, to process, and, and let me not overlook the obvious, which is our own health in the form of the virus, and how polarizing that subject in and of itself can be, whether it's fear of the virus in and of itself, or whether it's fear of what the vaccination can do to you if you were to take it. It truly is amazing how we gravitate as a people to the subject or the subjects that we choose to fear in this life. And yet, none of these things come even close to what the Bible tells us we ought to fear. You see, the interesting thing about fear is that we were created by God and He gave us this emotion. It has a place in our life. You know, growing up as a kid, 
there was a brand that was created that was no fear. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. And it's this huge line of clothing and, and stickers, and it just became this like this cultural phenomenon, this, this idea of no fear. You know, and, and in this country that does well because we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, and we fear nothing because we can overcome whatever is put in front of us. That's not how the Bible talks about fear. And fear does have a place, and we ought not to be foolish enough to think that we should go through this life fearing nothing. Because that's not how God intended it. In fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus tells us quite plainly how each one of us has been designed to leverage fear in a healthy way in our life. Verse 28, it reads, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, fear has a place in our lives. But like many, many things in this world, Satan has wrapped his hands around these things and distorted and twisted and just completely mutilated the proper and healthy way by which we should look at these things. And fear is one of those. So this morning I want to examine what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. If you paid attention during the scripture reading, you heard that at the very end, that the Christians were walking in the fear of the Lord. In fact, you'll notice uh, in that passage that was read, that not only do they walk in the fear of the Lord, but with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that's something interesting for you and I to consider, that how does one walk in fear but find comfort? You see, those things seem two opposites in our world, do they not? How can I walk in fear but be comfortable? You know, around the dinner table, my family has gotten into the very good practice of certainly eating our meal, but then we spend a little time studying the Bible. And if you followed along during the reading in sync over the last year and a half or so, uh, that maybe started that habit in your family, and if it is, you know, keep it going because we certainly have in our house and the subject of being fearful of God came up one night and if you don't know my my children very well I have as of today a 15 year old which is very difficult to process Uh, and then I have a a 13 year old in Jacob and then Kaylin is nine years old and to try and answer the question what does it mean to be fearful of God or to walk in the fear of the Lord with that age range is not exactly easy. And I remember in the moment I thought, Jeremy, how are you going to answer this in a way that does it justice and puts in their heart the right feeling about fearing God? And the analogy that came to me, which was pretty, I mean, I don't, don't think I can do this twice, is guess what I'll tell you. Uh, but the analogy that came to me was very much a physical one that I think we could all uh, appreciate when we consider this subject. And that is, when you and I go and we get into our vehicles and we go to drive down any given road, there's a speed limit that's posted. And it varies, whether you're going through a neighborhood or going out on 
you know, uh, you know, one of these roads between Houston and Austin where the speed limit is 85, you know, it, it ranges, okay? And one can certainly appreciate that there has to be a, a good number of folks that were involved in doing an assessment to determine for that road what is the appropriate speed for a car to travel and to what end? For the safety of the people that are in that area, Right? That's why we have these speed limits and all the other road signs for that matter. But the idea behind it is, is so that you and I can know that enough thoughtfulness has already gone into a determination that says this is how fast we ought to go on this road. And so we honor that not only so that we might avoid getting a ticket, that certainly is a nuisance, but more importantly so that we don't cause bodily harm to ourselves or to the people around us that might be on that road at any given time. You see, we should care about these things and we should honor that speed limit because we want to be safe. We want to do what's asked of us, sure, but we also want to be safe. And so when you consider this notion of walking in the fear of the Lord, it very much is the same thought process that you and I go through when we see those posted limits. And out of respect for those determinations, we honor them and we follow the speed limit. And of course, you and I can easily wrap our head around what happens to the person who decides that, you know, I, I honestly don't care what the posted speed limit is. I'm going to go as fast as I want to go. And sure, you might be able to get away with it one times, 10 times, 50 times, 100 times. But it only takes that one time when something absolutely terrible happens. In many ways, although not perfect, that is a good way for us to consider what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. Now let's add to that what we find in Philippians 2, verse 12. In Philippians 2, verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I know many of you in this room have heard that verse read before. But I want to ask you, have you ever considered your life as it relates to your own personal salvation as something that you approach with fear and trembling? You see, we don't typically think about that. When it comes to our spiritual state, this idea of being in a state of trembling because of whatever the current state of affairs is. And to be honest, it can be a little conflicting because God loves me, right? He loves me and he wants to provide for me. And he wants to do all these great things for me. And so why should I fear him? And why should I possibly be in a point where I'm trembling as it relates to my salvation? You see, back in the day, there certainly was a lot of preaching and teaching that went on that was very strong in its, in its tone. You might have heard it as hellfire and brimstone. That's what you'll hear at times as it relates to the type of teaching that went on at one point. And I think maybe as an overreaction to that, as, as a collection of Christians in the body of Christ, we maybe have shied away from the true spirit and intent behind that teaching in terms of why a person should take their life seriously when it comes to the spiritual matters at hand. You see, when I hear walk in the fear of the Lord, 
What I translate that to is sin is serious business and it ought to be treated as such. Sin is not a game and it is real. And we must all walk every moment of every day with a firm grasp on that reality that we live in. You know, when I think about the concept of trembling, in one hand, I feel blessed because there are not too many times in my life where I have been stricken with an overtaking of fear to the point that I was trembling. But I will tell you that there is a moment in my life that I seem to remember as though it was yesterday that happened when I was five years old. And, you know, it's interesting how memories work, right? Some can be so jarring that you remember them for the rest of your life and then others I can't even remember what happened earlier this morning. And when I was five years old, my family and I were in a hotel for the night. And there was a pool. And it was one of these arrangements, I'm sure you can picture this in your mind, where the rooms were fixated around this pool that kind of sat in the middle of this courtyard. You've seen the type. And it was only myself and my younger brother at the time. And... My dad had brought me out onto the steps of this pool. I was five. I did not know how to swim, okay? And he was showing me how you doggy paddle, if you know what I mean, right? The treading of water. You know, in my house, we call that doggy paddling, right? And he was showing me how to do it. He was walking me through it. And then my mother came to the door of the hotel uh, room, and she said to my father that my, my brother was ready now to have his bathing suit put on and brought into the water also. Typical situation. And my father said, Jeremy, stay right here on these steps. And and by the way, everybody's within eyesight of each other. There was no going around corners or going in, you know. He was simply just going to get out of the water, go grab my brother and come back. And I was to remain on those steps until he did that. And I did not do that. The minute he turned his back to me, I thought, well, I've got the instructions. I know what he's told me to do, but I think I can doggy paddle. And so I went out into this water trying to tread water and I never effectively got my head above the water line. And I remember being able to see him walking to that door back to me, not able to hear the the, the minor sounds that I was making, but never being able to get my mouth above the water line and feeling that panic of, I need to take a breath. And then I inhaled out of pure desperation a full lung worth of pool water because I had nothing left. And it was as I was completely giving up, I felt him lift me out of that water. And I felt what it feels like to be stricken with fear. And I share that with you this morning because when I think about how we're supposed to approach our own spiritual life as it relates to being stricken with fear, to be trembling, to be afraid, it is the moment in which we realize that we've stepped outside of what God has asked us to do. When we've chosen to take the speed limit, dare I cheapen it with that, the commandments that God has given us to live by, and we make the decision to consciously violate those, it should elicit a response inside of us that is nothing short of terror and fear. Because we are absolutely on the wrong side of where we ought to be. 
And in many ways, I'm thankful for that experience that I had, although it literally almost cost me my life. That could have been the end of who I was as a physical being that day at five years old. And when I look back on it, when I read God's word, and when I consider what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord, to be working out my salvation with trembling, I'm reminded of that very moment in my life where I think about what it felt like to be overtaken by fear because I chose to do something that I was specifically asked not to do. When you look at the words themselves, the word fear and the word trembling, I'm not going to do an exhaustive breakdown or go into the Greek language with you here, but I'll I'll give you an idea of what these words technically mean in their native language they were written in. Certainly there are words like reverence and respect, and I think that's what we often like to cling to when we think about walking in the fear of the Lord. Well, that just means have a tremendous amount of respect and reverence for God. And that's absolutely right. But that's not all that this is referring to. Certainly a reverence and respect, but there's also definitions that say strikes terror. An awesome or terrifying thing. When you consider how the Bible uses the word fear. And it should clearly grab our attention as we consider the frame of mind that it conjures up. When you think about your walk in Christ being something that at times might strike terror inside of you. And it almost begs the question, when's the last time you felt that way as it related to your spiritual condition? Couple that with the word trembling, as we read a moment ago, and it's almost the the notion of one who trembles in the presence of someone that has the ability to take their life. You know, Jesus told us in Matthew 10, fear the one who can take the body and soul. And when you and I make the conscious decision to step away from that, we should be very afraid. And does that not then create a reverence and a respect for our God? Absolutely it does. But let us not forget the emotional reaction that we should feel. Because what can happen, brothers and sisters and friends, is that we can become complacent to these things in our life that we do that are outside of what God would otherwise have us do. And that complacency is a very dangerous thing. So sure, we should have reverence and awe, but you couple that with being afraid to offend God in any way and trembling that should come from anyone who has sinned against God and not repented. You see, it's that fear that becomes the trigger mechanism to get us right, to bring us back. And if you use fear in your life that way, that is healthy, and proper and good. And so you can appreciate that this concept of no fear is not a good one. Because if you do not have a proper view of fear in your life, well then you become complacent to the things you're doing in your life that are not right. So now let's see what the Bible actually has to tell us about what you and I gain by exercising fear properly in our lives. 
by actually taking fear and using it in a healthy and proper way. And we're going to do this simply by looking at a number of verses in the book of Proverbs. So please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. This is very eye-opening when you stop and look at this because the Bible has been abundantly clear about the value of fear and the place that it has. But if we don't spend time reading that and letting it be, those words be written on our heart, then we let the world tell us what the definition of fear is and what to fear and how to fear and when to fear. And that will run you into the ground. So starting in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. God's word reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now think about that after what I just explained to you. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see, if you don't have that governor in your heart and in your mind, that, that limiter, that ability to say, I cannot break that limit because it is not right. And it's the fear of what will happen to me spiritually if I do so, even but for a moment. If you do not have that, then you lack knowledge about what this is all about. We are spiritual beings on a temporary journey in a physical body. So the beginning of knowledge is to understand that we need to walk in the fear of the Lord. If you look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Not dabble in it. Not do it a little bit. Just hope I don't get caught. Not try it just to see what it's all about. Thinking that I won't ever do it again. It is a position of hate. That is what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. When you look at just a couple chapters over, Proverbs 10, 27 Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. If we look over in Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. God is calling out to us and telling us to walk in the fear of the Lord. And you might ask yourself, well, why? Isn't God in control of all things? Can't he take whatever I do wrong and make it right just because? And the reason why That's not the case in the sense of how he's decided it will be is because he is a just God. He has told us how to live and he has told us the blessings that come with those who do rightly. He has also told us of the condemnation of those that choose not to. 
And you see, God's not like you and I where He needs to change His words and thoughts and feelings over time. That's what you and I do. But God's words are eternal and everlasting. And He has told us. It is a fountain of life. And it is strong confidence. I can't imagine what it would be like if one out of every four people didn't have a job. I can't imagine what would happen if whatever money I had been able to save was gone over just a blink of an eye. If you go back two years, I couldn't imagine what it would be like if a pandemic ravaged the entire world and disrupted almost every facet of our lives. But these things happen, and it's not the last time it's going to happen. But if you walk in the fear of the Lord, you can have strong confidence no matter what your physical circumstances are. Let's keep going. Proverbs 16.6. Proverbs 16.6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. You see, when you learn to walk this way in your spiritual life, it is the sole basis by which you look upon that which is sinful and wrong and say, I want no part of that. In absence of that fear of the Lord, you will be compromised. When we look in 19, Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. I trust you know that when God tells us here that the fear of the Lord leads to life, that We're talking about spiritual life. It's the beginning of knowledge, as we read moments ago. And the last one here in the book of Proverbs, found in chapter 22, verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. I trust you know that when we read that, and when God tells us, that there are riches for those that walk in the fear of the Lord, that he's not talking about silver and gold. He's talking about treasures that get built up for us in heaven. And when he talks about honor and life, it's with respect to the relationship that we get to have with him through eternity because we choose to walk in the fear of the Lord. So the question then becomes, how does one develop this? Let's say you're sitting here this morning and you say, I don't know that that quite describes me. And so maybe the question is, what do I need to do to correct that? What do I need to do to develop and foster this proper presence of fear in my life? God gives us a, a glimpse into that as well. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 10 through 13. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of release, at the Feast of the Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, 
You shall read the law before all Israel in their hearing. So the initial instruction here is that when everyone is together, we are going to read God's word together. And hearing the people together, men and women and little ones and the strangers who are within your gates. So this is everybody. Notice that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. You know, the more that I spend time studying God's word and then having the privilege to teach it to all ages and different things, it's amazing how many things, how many questions you and I have in life come back to the same answer. Read God's word. Do not let the fact that that answer is so applicable to almost everything that you miss the point that we see here in the book of Deuteronomy. We're specifically told that by reading and understanding God's word, the expressed reason was so that they might walk in the fear of the Lord. To know what the limiting factors are, to know what the governor needs to be, to know what to stay away from so that they might not even go there to begin with. So as with anything proper, or excuse me, as with anything, proper balance, I should say, is key when we learn to walk in the fear of the Lord. It is 100% true that God is love and he's extended his grace to everyone and he desires a relationship with all. That is all true. But he's also given us some very sobering facts about the nature of that relationship. And one of them is we cannot partake in sin if we want to be in that relationship. Now, we are not a single one of us perfect, and we will sin. And Lord willing, we will all repent when those moments come upon us. But it's in those times where we fail to do so, where we allow a sinful thing to grab a foothold into your heart, that you should quake with fear. Because in doing that properly, it will bring you back. And that is exactly as God has designed it to be. This is not a matter of no fear. When I think back on what President Roosevelt said, I know and understand the reason why he said it. And I agree that it's true, but for probably a different reason than what he intended in that moment. The only thing we have to fear is most certainly fear itself but it's in a misunderstanding of how to properly use fear in our life that we should be afraid of. If you miss this point, you stand to be compromised spiritually. So I leave the lesson with you this morning with this. I don't have to sit down and have a conversation with every one of you to know that there are things that you're afraid of in your life. And if you've allowed these things to overwhelm you, if you've allowed them to overtake you, put that burden down. It's not necessary. It's not needed. It's not the way God intended. He wants us to take this fear, this ability to fear, 
and use it to drive a healthy spiritual life. Not to cause us anxiety and run us into the ground and make us feel like we are running a race that we can never, ever end. That's not what fear is about. And so if you're carrying around that burden, put it down. You can decide how to treat fear in your life, you and you alone. You also might be sitting in this morning and you've allowed sin to grow inside your heart. And you might not be afraid because of that. And if that describes you, I humbly request that you turn around and make your heart right with God. Develop the notion that being on the wrong side of what God's asked us to do is serious business and get your life right so that you can unload the burden of sin that might be in your heart right now. The greatest life that anyone can ever possibly live is the life of a Christian who walks in the light and said another way, walks in the fear of the Lord. You see, the two things are saying the same thing, but just from a different perspective. If you have any needs whatsoever this morning, I want to encourage you to come forward now as we sing this song of encouragement for you. Sweet his cry of love and pity, call it 